Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad alongside two great human beings, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies and Hollywood Heath Pearson. On today's show, we're going to talk about our U20s doing the business in dominating fashion, the U20 CONCACAF Championship, which qualified us not only for the 2023 U20 World Cup, which is important, but for the first time since 2008 in Beijing, it qualified us for the Olympics in Paris in 2024. And that is a big deal. So we're going to discuss who should be on that roster. And for those that don't know, the Olympics is a U23 tournament but you can bring three overage players. So let's get to discussing that. But before we do, I have to say that Luca De La Torre just made a move from Heracles, where he just got relegated in Eredivisie to La Liga to play for a mid-table team, Celta de Vigo. So we'll get into that as well. But again, I got another note for you before we hear from Charlie and Heath. We just got nominated, everybody, for the Best Sports Podcast in the People's Choice Podcast Awards, which is truly amazing. We hope that you'll take 60 seconds. So please go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down the sports category, find in soccer we trust and help us win another trophy in our careers. That's all we want. We've also included the link at the top of the episode description as well. Okay, Charlie, I'm coming to you first as our resident Olympian. How important was playing in that tournament? And I only ask because a lot of people, fans, even clubs mm-hmm. around the world don't consider it that big of a deal. But to me, it is a big deal. I would have loved to have played in the Olympics. It, it was massive. It, it felt like a World Cup. I mean, it, it's the Olympics. There, there's a lot that goes into it. When you think about these are the best players across the world and all the other athletes in every other sport, it's, that's his best, the best of the best. That's the cream of the crop. For the soccer side, it's an under-23 tournament because they don't want it to compete with the World Cup. However, you're playing against the best, most talented under-23s in the world. That It's literally the, the, the step. The next step is the World Cup. And so if I'm looking at some of the guys we played against, you know, we, we were playing against the Netherlands, we played against Japan, and we played against Nigeria. Well, drop some and, names. Give us the early flexes. Yeah. Who'd you play against? I mean, well, you had Royston Drente, right? He was at Real Madrid. You had I Hedwiges, remember him. You had Hedwidge's Maduro, who was also, I think, at Valencia. Erby Emanuelson was a star at, at Ajax. Uh, De Gu- Jonathan de Guzman was also a, another star um, at that time. Uh, Atman Bakal, I think he played at PSV or, or far at Feyenoord. And then Ryan Babel, right? I think uh, Roy Barons, I think is how you say the last name. Roy Mackay, who was at uh, Bayern Munich, was coming off the bench for them. They they had some big-time players. Um, so I think from that point of view, you felt like this is only going to help you. The speed of play was, was, was fast, was crazy fast. I remember us during that tournament, we felt – we had what it took to to get a medal, and I and I really think we sh- we should have, at the very least, been in in that medal round, whether it was competing for the bronze medal or for the gold and silver, because at the end of the day, we got a red card, 
in the last game against Nigeria, we were beating uh, the Netherlands. They scored a, a last-minute free kick. We beat Japan to start the, the, the games 1-0. And I think within the group, the feeling was, man, we, we underperformed because we really should have uh, come away with a, a, at least – I mean, I feel like at least a bronze medal. We were, we were that good. This was a loaded roster. I mean, Marisa Du was our center back. Michael Parkhurst was one of the the over um, the three overage players that we brought in, and we needed a center back, so it worked out perfectly. Brad Guzan, we brought in as a goalkeeper. Chris Seitz was was the backup. So from that point of view, if it's Tim Howard or Brad Guzan, it's still still a win for us. Marvell Wynn was phenomenal for us as a right back. He had a, a number of clubs in Europe after his signature because he he was like shut down right back. He was incredible. Uh, Stu Holden was the, the right midfielder. Michael Bradley was our defensive midfielder. Sasha Clushton was in front of him, and Robbie Rogers was was the left attacking midfielder. And then Freddie Adu, who was still still there. I wouldn't say he was peak <laughs> Freddie Adu at this point, yeah. but he could still bring it. And then we brought Brian McBride, who was – so did you start any of those games or did you have to sit and watch Brian McBride do it? I had to, I had to sit and watch and came in as a sub. Um, and, and Joe's Brian McBride hadn't played in six months. Well, I mean, Brian McBride, like that was like, okay, Parker's, that was a, a, a random one based on like his availability and, and other players you could have brought. And we need, and we need, and we need. like, yeah. And, and, but, but Brian McBride one was like, I think it had been like months that he had been out of, of playing any matches and, and then got called into that one, which it's not a knock on Brian McBride. I, I, I would, you, you could come to me now and I'd go to the Olympics, right? Like, but it's, he wasn't in form. It wasn't like we're bringing him because this is the peak Brian McBride that we, we all knew and loved. It was Brian McBride mm-hmm. at the end of his career and also having not played for quite a bit of time. Yeah. So, so, who would you have brought then instead, Chuck? Let's just let's, you know, just tactically, Brian McBride wasn't a good fit, just no. because he wasn't fit and he hadn't been around, and obviously he wouldn't say no to that. But no. what, what were the other options at that point? And and I assume you were naturally disappointed because you knew that by naming a striker, you were probably going to lose some minutes. <laughs> yeah, of course I was. I was disappointed. <laughs> uh, but on the other side, I'm, I was always a, a fan of Brian McBride. This is a, a player I watched from the 2002 World Cup on, and, and him starring in, in the Premier League for Fulham. So there was that part of of I think uh, of the excitement that when you see Brian McBride's coming to your, to, to the team, you're like, wow, I can learn from him, and I get to to have those conversations so I can further develop, continue my my development. But you guys you know, are different players that, there, so it's it's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, no, advice is advice. I mean, he's been yeah, around. Obviously. I mean, either way, no matter how different you are, you still need to improve those parts of the games that he's really strong in. He didn't right. have any of the things that I was really strong in, and I didn't have what he had. But you could develop hold up. Sure, there. You can sure. develop position and, and the tactical awareness within the box and the run. So that's what I was really focused on was how to – how can I play like Brian McBride? How can I learn about his timing and also just the runs he makes? Because he he was probably one of the best center forwards I've ever seen when it comes to timing of not only the flick-ons, he was incredible in the air, but the timing of his runs. And he was just very unselfish for, for a striker. So typically, you know, you're a striker, you, you, you're always going to shoot first no matter what. Right. That right. wasn't always the case with Brian McBride. So um, I would say probably not what we needed in terms of, an, an overage player because it was Josie and myself and Freddie as your three striker options probably didn't need to go out and get somebody who, who would, 
you know, be in, in those positions. Wait, wait, time out. Heath, I think mm-hmm. Charlie's blaming Bob Bradley for why they didn't meddle. That's just what I'm picking up. I feel oh, like there's some no, like, no. I think this is Bob's fault. We already had the guys. Brian, anyway, anyway, keep going, no. keep going. McBride, <laughs> McBride, you both know, McBride's one of the nicest guys no, of on course, this planet in our sport. Uh, and what he brought to the table is the, the leadership aspect and keeping us calm. Um, we all looked up to Brian McBride and he was like, hey, been at a World Cup, been there, done that. Follow, follow the lead, right? And he got everybody to, to focus and be, I think, mentally right for, for that competition. But if I'm looking at our roster, if you're looking at the left back position, I know Heath, you you were you were um, you had conversations around coming with us, but we didn't have a left back. Michael Roscoe is a center back. He was he was our left back. So there for sure. And left back is always a difficult position. But if you're looking in the midfield. You're trying to make Heath cry, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Heath. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, we were pretty stacked. We, we I mean, Sasha Kleschen goes on to have an incredible career. Uh, Danny Satella was his backup. And he was, at that point, being looked at by Everton, Michael Bradley. You had Dax McCarty as his backup. He's had an incredible career in Major League Soccer. Stu Holden was at right midfield. I think that was the the time where he started to to make his gains and, and push for not only a place with the full team, but also in, in uh, Europe with uh, Bolton. And then you had Benny Philaver, who had his national team, um, you know, caps and, and success. And Robbie Rogers, who was also super talented, and he had a good tournament as well. So it's one of those things where I don't think you really needed to – go out and, and bring yeah, anybody yeah. that was a game changer, unless DeMarcus Beasley, Landon Donovan, sure. Tim Howard, you know, unless one of those, Carlos Bocanegra, Gucciano, any of them were like, hey, I, I would like to come, then you bring them in, obviously. <coughs> he missed Jimmy Conrad in there somewhere, Heath. But, uh, <laughs> just to catch everybody up, uh, just, just 2008, the gold, the gold medal was won by Argentina, who had Zabaleta, they had Raquel May, they had Banega, Di Maria, Mascherano, Messi, Aguero, Sergio Romero, oh and Gold. I mean, the, that team was stacked, and that was uh, and those aren't their over. Time. That's not their overage players. Those aren't your well outside of Raquel May. Yeah, 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 it's it's pretty crazy. And Ronaldinho went with Brazil, right? So yeah, the Ronaldinho was with the Brazil. Village. They won the bronze, right? They had Marcelo, Thiago Silva, Rafinha. I mean, oh, it's crazy I, I, how good these guys. I remember guys were. walking the Olympic Hernandez. Village, and you know you 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 know these these teams are are playing and who are the favorites, but it doesn't really hit you until the Argentina side comes walking down the middle of the Olympic village and you're seeing Messi and Aguero and Raquel May, and you're kind of like, Oh, this, this is why you want to compete in the world cup. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're right, playing right. against this, right? This, this is as good as it gets. So that's why it's so important for that, for the development process. So when you get to a world cup, it's not, nothing's new. You've played right, right, right. You know, at the highest level and you've played it in this tournament format supposed to prepare you for the world cup. Right, and Nigeria won the silver. I should have mentioned that uh, they ended up losing in the mm-hmm. final. Nigeria, very good as well. Now, Heath, we've heard a lot from our resident Olympian, Charlie, and, and rightfully so, because he got to play in the Olympics. But you were close in 2008. And I remember having a conversation with Bob as well that he was considering me as one of the overage players at the 2007 Copa America, which I made a couple plays that I thought that Bob maybe – held against me in some ways and maybe didn't handle it post or whatever that's between me and Bob. But, but I, that didn't, it didn't help my cause to go to the Olympics. He ended up taking Parkhurst as the center back. And I was a little disappointed, but understood because I didn't necessarily play well when I had my opportunities, but you were also very close and it's disappointing to hear from Charlie that the team needed a left back in 2008 and you were not selected. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're talking about three overage players, generally, you want if you're Brazil, you want your stars, right? You want you and and you're probably going to get them in two attacking players, maybe one defender. Uh, the U.S. had that leadership in Brian McBride, which I think was really important. The form of Brian McBride was is, is something different than I think the leadership of him, which is fantastic. But the form of him at the time. But for me, I got a call from um, Peter Novak, who was like, "I'm taking you, so you need to get clearance from your club." So I went through hell with my club, who obviously, like you, I was playing in the Bundesliga at the time. They don't respect the Olympics. They don't think that that's a thing, right? That's not a thing. But when you grow up, at least in my generation. It was World Cup and Olympics. Those are the only two things that I knew. I didn't know anything about Manchester United other than like the 90 and 30 on Fox Soccer World or whatever it was back then or Fox Sports World back in the day. Uh, you couldn't get a ton of sports on. You knew a few teams, but I knew the national team. I knew the Olympics. So he called me and was like, hey, get clearance. The club was like uh, just absolutely pissed off at me. And then Peter Novak never called me again. And he told me he was taking me. He literally said, I'm taking you to the Olympics. You need to get clearance from your club. And I did that, and then he just never called me again, which is the most what? Peter Novak thing ever. But yeah, like he literally said, "You are coming to the Olympics. You need to get clearance oh, for the World Cup." Oh, and then never even like, and then never even called and said, "You're not coming." Like he didn't say like, "Hey, we're gonna go with something else, or or we're gonna use our three over." He left you dangling uh, like that. Yeah, we got to get Peter Novak on the show. He, yeah. He's got to answer this uh, question. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you right a lot now. Of things he's got to answer. We could we could we could we could have used both of you and and, and Parker's because. Moadu wasn't a center back either, and he right, didn't want to play right. center yeah. back, but he yeah. was damn good at it. He just didn't want to play it. And we were loaded at that position, you know, Sasha, Michael Bradley, Dax, Danny Zatella, Mo. So he was forced to play. In an ideal world, you both are there and, and Parkhurst, right? Or, you know, Timmy or Brad was on, you know. So. Yeah, and, and here's – and by the way, here's what's interesting about the Olympics – for people contextually, happens every four years. And then there's a four-year window of players that are selected. So if you go back to even the Olympics before that, where I think it was Chris Winger was like the college player that was on the Olympic team back then. But when I, when I think about that, I was, and Brad Kazan was, and Michael Parkers, we were talking about this before the show, we're all born in 84, right? And I think the three of us are all late 84. So growing up in club team, we would have played with all the guys in the 85 or the early 85s. But because we were 84s, we would have been 17, maybe 18 going into that Olympics or 18, maybe 19 going into that Olympics. Yeah. And you're, you're competing for a spot with 22 year old pros. And like, I'm coming out of high school. So you miss right. out on the window to actually be of age because, you know, if I was of age, I'm going to that Olympics, you know, but because I'm overage, I'm not going to that Olympics. And I have to be an overage player. They end up taking two 84s, which is also bizarre compared to the experience you could have taken. But that's the unique right. thing about the Olympics is cyclically, uh, it, it's it's very hard for the youngest player that's going to be 18 or 19 mm -hmm. to get called into the Olympic team and and contribute because now, and, and it was more so then because that gap between 18 and 22 was the difference between a pro and a, and a high school. Uh, now you're going to have 18-year-olds that are pros. And so it's maybe that gap gets a little bit smaller. But if you're at the young end, you're already sort of getting the short stick in terms of being an of-age player for the Olympics, which I find really unique compared to any other tournaments where it's maybe one or two years max, where if like you're a top uh, player that's a year younger, you'll, you'll, you'll get pulled up into that U-20s. But for the most part, it's that age group or maybe one younger that get to play in that. And then it goes, you know, max two years versus four. That's a massive amount of time and a massive gap in, in development. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what we do 
with this current iteration because we qualified now and the Olympics are in two years. So who we bring. And I want to get into that in a second, mm. but just to reiterate what you had said, Charlie, and and for the guys that played on the 2000 Olympic team that went down to Australia and got to the bronze medal match and unfortunately lost to Chile 2-0, uh, Bam Bam Zamorano scored two goals in the second half to kind of end the hopes of us getting that. But all of those guys talk about how important those games were for their development. And I think to your point, Charlie, when you have the, the Landon Donovans and those guys that were part of that team, you know, and, and that gave them that confidence that when they got to the World Cup, it wasn't as big of a deal. Like they had been there before. They had played in big matches wearing the red, white, and blue. And I think that's important. Now, the three overage players in 2000 were Brad Friedel, Jeff Agus, and Frankie Hadick. So really, really, Clive Charles was the coach at the time. Rest in peace to Clive. And he, he went with three defensive-minded guys to kind of help bolster the team behind a lot of talented players. On that team also were uh, John O'Brien, Ben Olsen, Pete Vianis, Chris Albright, wow. Josh Wolf, Connor Casey, uh, Landon, as I mentioned, Sasha Victorine, Timmy Howard was on that behind Brad Friedel, uh, Joey DJ Marino, who I played club soccer with when I was a kid. Sasha and Pete were both my teammates at UCLA. So I have a lot of connections to this team in particular. But anytime I talk to these guys, they talk about how important and how awesome that whole experience was. And for us to not take it serious would really bum me out heading into 2024. But we have so many talented guys. There are going to be some, some guys that are going to be left out this time around. Oh, yes. So I guess I guess now that we've kind of given some context about how important it is, and I appreciate you sharing your experiences, both of you guys. Chuck, I'll come to you first on this. What spots of the team, because it looked like Bob for 2008 kind of went traditional. He went with goalkeeper, he went with the center back, and he went with the striker. Real spine of the team type positions. I feel like you got to do the same here. I feel like, again, we might need another center back for this current group of players. I think Tyler Adams would be a nice fit because I don't know if there's a clear cut number six for this group of young players. Mm -hmm. And then maybe even a striker because the only age eligible, age eligible ones that really pop off the, the page are Ricardo Pepe and Matthew Hoppy and potentially Cade Cowell. So, so, so would you, I don't know. Would you get okay. one if you have Pepe playing? If he, if, let's just if say Pepe's he's blowing playing. up, you don't need to go get anybody, right. you know? Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think for sure six. I think you're right about that. But Paxton Aronson, Quinn Sullivan, Caden Clark, Alejandro Alvarado, even Jack McGlynn, they're all developing at a rapid pace. You know, they, they could be in a great spot come two years from now, right? So I, I'm I'm more – I look more at the, de the defensive, the back line, the defensive responsibilities. That's – even if you look at our age group, if, if you have a sound – back line, keeper back line, and Gago Sonina will also fill into the goal. Sonina, I think, will probably That's be it. the starter, which is crazy. He wasn't part of the <laughs> U-20s, but he'll yeah. definitely. I mean, but this 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 team is also loaded. Um, most of these players will, will, will probably would have had a U.S. men's national team cap or experience. So, you know, you even throw in George Bello, Joe Scali, Eunice Musa, Malik Tillman. All you know, these right. names that you're mentioning, by the way, just so everybody knows, they're all age eligible. So they'll yes. all be under 23. They were... So if we throw out a George Bello or a Slonina or a Brian Reynolds, Scali, whoever, these guys will all be underage. So we don't have they're not going to be counted as overage players. Uh, a lot sure of clubs clear. do say no, though. A lot of clubs do say no do. to their players going to the Olympics uh, because it's not it, FIFA it, mandated. It, it, yes. Uh, yeah. And so you you will get a core of them, like a Joe Scali or something like that. But there's also going to be some players that are eligible that the club's going to be like, nope. And their status with the club is not worth fighting over going to the Olympics. Uh, which is a, which is a hard challenge. And, well, there's yeah. also a shout. Also, I want to throw out there that there's a there's been conversations 
that we might get invited to the 2024 Copa America. And, and obviously, I think Greg and the coaching staff or whoever's in charge at that point, I'm assuming it'll be Greg, uh, will we'll want to bring the, the overage players to go compete mm-hmm. in that. I mean, do you think there's a potential, Charlie, that we could just say, you know what, we're okay with the overage players. We got a talented group here. They obviously proved at the under-20 under level. I mean, they, we outscored everybody 26-2, to two, I think, in CONCACAF Championship. Not that we would, but I just, I'm just trying to think about what, what the situation is going to be when 2024 actually rolls around. I think for the players that are age eligible, even if they're, they're starters for their clubs, I think they'll be allowed to leave. Like Heath said, most clubs don't care if you are you know, uh, selected as an overage player because they're like, we don't, we don't care. You're not going. You're an overage player. We right. don't value the Olympics. You're not missing our, our games or, or part of our season to go play in a tournament that you don't really are, aren't really eligible for. That's for youth. That's in their mind. Now, if you're of age, typically they're going to allow you to leave. I think we're going to be in a great position where most of our players who, who are age eligible are fantastic. Like we, we should expect to, to compete for the gold medal in this one, no doubt. And then think about the next step, which is 2026. This is, this is, yeah, yeah. this is that important step where you have the 2022 world cup, amazing experience. You qualify for the under 20 world cup and the Olympics, you get that. And then you're talking about possibly Copa America and then the world cup in 2026. Think of all of that experience, yeah, all of that, yeah, yeah. that, that in uh, competitive, that competitive environment and the advantage that we'll have going into 2026. So I, I want them to play if they can play in Copa America, and Olympics, get it done. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the more games, and that's to your point before. Like, these are really meaningful experiences, and you're learning how to become a pro. You're learning how to deal with pressure and expectations, and, and especially for our young players, that's going to be vital. When I think there will be and should be legitimate expectations for us to do well in the 2026 World Cup. So let's talk about expectations, Heath. There was a question there saying we should be going out there to seek gold. Do you think we have the talent, Heath Pierce, to win gold in Paris with? Let's just say everything goes right and we can get the three overage players that we want and everybody's healthy. I mean, then this is all perfect world stuff. But but what do you think the expectation should be at for us as fans for this particular group of players? I think our odds of getting a medal, our best team are higher than the other teams that have a chance of winning. So I think our odds of getting players released, our best players, is higher than Argentina and Brazil yeah, getting yeah. their best players sure, released. Sure. And so I That's think if you give us our best roster versus what I think Brazil and Argentina and you know some of the, the, the African nations and others that will have to have to field their teams, so some of the European nations, Great Britain especially, I think we have the best we'll have the best squad. Well, I think we have definitely have a chance of winning this tournament. I'll I'll say that because of that mix of like, I think on paper, we're still not the best if you take the best under 23s. But if you look at minutes played for under 23s around around Europe, the U.S. is consistently in the top five right now. Whether we get those players or not that are Olympic eligible, I'm not really sure. But if we had all of our best players, and I think we do have a better chance, as I mentioned before, then I then I think we have a great chance of 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 actually winning uh, the Olympics. Okay, so let's talk about this part of it. And Charlie, I'm going to come to you on this because you actually suffered from it when Brian McBride got named to the team in 2008. You went from being potentially the starter to having to be the first or second guy or whatever, super sub off the bench. We have our captain, Mauricio Cuevas, uh, number two. Or Yeah, he played. Um, he plays right back. And, and he plays for Club Brugge, 19 years old from L.A. Captained our team in the final, 
right? So for us to to win the CONCACAF, I mean, just a really important player. But then you have Brian Reynolds, you have Joe Scally, you have these other guys that potentially have a little bit more playing experience that are age eligible that might get to play over him. And and that kind of sucks because you this this Mauricio Cuevas did all the hard work to kind of get us into this position to qualify. And now he might not get the benefit of it. I know that's how it world the world's not yeah, fair. I get all that. That's how it works. <laughs> but 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 mm-hmm. and he's got to improve and that and he'll have to earn his spot. But it just feels a little unfair that these overage players can come in. And I know since you have some experience, it has to be a little bit bitter. And we can me and Heath can sense a little bitterness yeah. from you. <laughs> I, have, I have zero bitterness. I, <laughs> yeah, I, am right. so, I am so grateful for for the experience. Ultimately, you just want to go. It's it's the same thing if you're going. Yeah, to Yeah, you see their opening ceremonies. Uh, all these guys are taking pictures with the with the uh, like the dream team, you know, like all yeah. these guys are hanging out. I think it was like what was it LeBron and Kobe, Kobe and Bryant, like, LeBron, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, and then Dirk Nowitzki and Nadal and Roger Federer. So for me, it's just being there to t- be able to take it in. Um, yeah, of course you want to play, but ultimately just going. Think about every qualifying tournament that we have in in the youth ranks under twenty, under twenty three. Typically, all the players in Europe don't go anyways. So you could be mm-hmm. you could be so influential and impactful in the in the actual qualifying for these tournaments, the World Cup and the Olympics, but you don't go, you don't, or you don't get to play because the European guys come into the picture for the actual tournament, and it's it's going to be the same type of, of thing for for these players. All right, all right. So I'm looking back at the last Olympics, 2020 Olympics, just to see Brazil ended up winning the gold, Spain got the silver, Mexico got the bronze. But I wanted to see their rosters just to kind of look at Heath's point. Like, ah, these guys won't bring their strongest team. Brazil had Diego Carlos, Douglas Luis, Paulinho, Bruno Guimarães, Mateus Cunha, Richarlson, Anthony, Danny Alves. I mean, that is a pretty solid squad. Martinelli from Arsenal. Uh, Spain had Unai Simon, Cucurella, Mingueza, Pa Torres, Asensio, Rafa Mir, Ceballos, Ayarsabal. I mean, Pedri. Danny Olmo, Brian Heath. I mean, these guys are stacked. So, yeah. yes, to a certain extent, Heath, I think that we'll have a pretty strong squad. But, God damn, those teams are good. <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. when was, but, but when was that Olympics? That was two summers ago during the pandemic, right? During the pandemic. It was 2021. Remember, they pushed it back. Did they yeah. push it? Oh, 2021. That was during, yeah, yeah. 2021. So Dude, it feels like a big blur to me. That's all I'm going to say. But what I'm saying is that it, I think circumstances are a little bit different in the pandemic. All if right. you go back to... You go back to uh, Charlie's uh, Olympics, and Brazil had Marce- Marcelo. They had uh, Pato and one or two others that have become sort of big, big stars. But beyond that, they it wasn't like stacked in the way that that they could potentially. And, by, and like Brazil was. has, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that Argentina was. But I'm saying like it, it's. I do think it's circumstantial. Now, a Neymar can go to his club and say, I'm going to the Olympics. And like you said, Charlie, before it was in Brazil, but he can say that and he's either going to pay the fines. He's going to do, he's going to do whatever he wants. When he wants to play in the Olympics, he's going to play in it. But other players that are not going to be, you know, where the first month of the season in Manchester city means the world are maybe not going to be released if they wanted to, if they're age eligible or, you know, mm-hmm. it's Phil Foden going to the Olympics, you know, do you, do you feel like some of its player, like say Gio Reyna is going to be age eligible. Do you feel like if, Gio Reyna went to Borussia Dortmund, and I don't know where he's going to be in two years, but if he said, hey, I want to play in the Olympics, it matters to me to represent my country. Because the Olympics feels a little bit different for Americans. I don't know. I can't speak, obviously, for any other country, but it feels like the Olympics matter a little bit more to us. We Like winning medals, we grew up with that 
mentality. Well, the Olympics yeah. is kind of on par with the World Cup. Charlie, you yes. agree? I mean, but if it, if the player comes in and mm-hmm. says, I want to play in this, this matters to me. I wonder if a club would bend a little bit like they did for you too as well, Heath. But Charlie, I'll come to you on, on do you think it, do you think we'll get a Gio Reyna eligible for this? I, I would hope so. I mean, the, the expectation is the Olympics is the greatest overall sporting event in the world. And we grew up with watching the 96 Olympics. I always think of Michael Johnson in the gold shoes. And, and you think of some of the great American athletes that have had these incredible world record performances at the Olympics. That's, that's the standard. And, and you want to be a part of that, especially how our country values the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It, it means a lot to the, to, to the U.S. In, in general. So why wouldn't you do everything you could if you had the possibility of playing on the Olympics? I always think of the Wheaties box. That was mm-hmm. like the goal. I was like, I want to I want to be that team that's on the Olympic uh, Wheaties box with our Olympic gold medals. So, I mean, just mentioning the names that are associated uh, to the Olympics with these teams, you can see how important it is for, for their growth and development. This Argentina team, when I think of, um, you know, 2008, if, if, you know, you have Ezekiel Garay, you had Pablo Zabaleta as the two big uh, backs. You had Fernando Gago at Real Madrid, Juan Riquelme, Angel de Maria, and Javier Maserano, Leo Messi and Aguero up top. You also had you also had it's like it's a cheat code that whole yeah thing. you also had Banega and Lavesi uh, on the bench and, and Sergio <laughs> Romero as a backup goalkeeper. So I mean, are you kidding me? It, it, so it, it's it's real it's really important. And we talk about bringing groups together so that when you come come to the full team, you know, there's this camaraderie, it's that brotherhood, and that's because it's been really stem stemming from these experiences playing in, in you know, Olympics or under 20 world right, cups. Right. So, so Keith, I'm going to come to you on this. So Mikey Varas led us to the U twenties, obviously had tremendous success with this group of players. A good portion of these players, I assume will be part of the U 23 team. Do you think he should get the the job for the U 23s? Cause that hasn't been named yet. Uh, it doesn't have to be him, but uh, it would be interesting if he didn't get it in some capacity. I also want to name all the age eligible players, just, just a, a smattering of them. And then you can tell me who, We've been teasing people long enough. We want to hear our three overage players and what positions they're going to play. But we got Selena in goal. I'm just going to kind of stop and start there because I think he's going to end up being the starter. At, these are all age eligible, so we don't have to go overage. Brian Reynolds, Joe Scally mentioned him. Uh, these are not the guys that played in the U20s. We already know them. Uh, you have Kobe Henry, who just made a move to France from, from Orange County. Justin Che is age eligible. Brandon Craig and Jalen Neal just played. I think maybe they're the two that could potentially go from this U20 team. You have George Bello and Jonathan Gomez, who... Apparently, and this is a question earlier about does qualifying for these tournaments help in the recruitment of dual nationals? So I want you to answer that as well, Heath. Jonathan Gomez plays for Real Sociedad B team, but looking like he might get some first team action this year. He's also eligible for Mexico. We got Reyna, Musa. Well, don't, uh, forget, don't forget Kevin Paredes as well. Kevin, Kevin Paredes, Paredes can play on the left side. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, you got De La Fuente, uh, Malik Tillman, you got Pepe, Hoppy. Um, and who else? We got Cole Bassett, Tanner Tessman, Cardoso, who's the place down in Brazil. Diego Luna just played for the 20s. You got Jack McGlynn, uh, Obed Vargas, who wasn't involved in this 20s team, but would be, you know, probably improved. That's a solid team. And those are all solid. age eligible. Solid. Really solid. So and then like De La Fuente, I mentioned already. So where do you where do you go? I think center back is a position. I think goalkeeper will be fine. I think a six because there's not a real proper six. Mm-hmm. And then and then I don't know for that third one. Kind of like Bob didn't know to do with his third one in 2008. He's like, let's just bring Brian McBride. So so I'm kind of curious, Heath, I'll come to you first on all of these questions. What say you? 
if you can remember Man. my question. <laughs> are, are, are we talking? Are, are we talking about three over age then? Uh, well, let's start with the coach. Do you think that Mikey Varas, the U twenty coach, should be the U twenty three coach? And then, and then, who are your who are your overages? Yeah, I, I I do think so. I mean, this team looked at least in that first half in the semifinal, the most important game that our youth national teams have played in a very long time. Right. So going from the quarters where, where they qualify for the U twenties to the semis where they qualified for the Olympics, that was probably the best performance we've seen in a long time in terms of Mm -hmm. dictating play away from home in front of an away crowd. Uh, that was a massive crowd. I think that first half was something impressive. So I think he's got something with this group that this group believes in. Obviously that may not be the core group that goes to the Olympics, but for sure should, should, should get a shot. And I think we should move away from the, the like kind of the rinse and repeat cycle of, of, of coaches and start funneling in more and giving them chances and training them and developing them. So I think that makes sense to me. And then for my three overage players, I, I like the idea of Slonina starting. So I think you can save one of those overage by having a young star play in that position by the time that that tournament rolls around. Um, and then I'm, I, I agree with ch- what Charlie said earlier, probably need a center back. I don't know who that center back would be at this point in time. That would be a leader two years from now. You could do, well, I don't think you say Walker Zimmerman. Maybe he's a little bit passive. It could be his last representation for the U.S. You could go Miles Robinson, mm-hmm. which I think would be an interesting add. You go Chris Richards, who's a little bit closer in age. But uh, those could be some names that yeah, the, the, those, could be those emerging could at be. that point as like really experienced guys. Yeah, and then when I look at like the U23 side of things, uh, you know, in two years, Ricardo Pepe could be massive, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, age eligible, correct? Like he's age eligible. That's right, eligible. he's age eligible. Yep, him and so Matthew Hoppy would you, be kind of like yeah. the two biggest names. Yeah, and, and so you, you potentially have a striker. So we're speculating on a very large window of time, but if it were to be happening today, I would probably want to take a striker, whether that became a, a, a Jesus Ferreira or, or somebody else that could provide something, or I mean, trying to think about who else that could be at the, at the striker position. I mean, obviously you have Christian Pulisic, you have, you have team away, McKinney and Tyler, Tyler Adams. Those are the three that I would say, most quickly to throw them in to any group and say, at least with Tyler Adams on the field, Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic, you've got something right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, it's, it's again, I'm, I'm sort of Musa. You, you just yeah, you well yeah. throw in the, the full team's midfield. Yeah. <laughs> just just do the midfield. Yeah. Just you could. You, uh, if you didn't want to bring, let's say Pepe blew up, you could actually bring Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and have Musa there and you'd have your, your starting. Well, wait, and is it Musa age eligible or Musa yeah, is age right. eligible? So right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. He wouldn't be over age. Your, yeah, you bring Adam McKenna's yeah. two over age, and then bring a center back or whoever you wanted to bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. That I would, would still be, look would at probably a, a, a striker. Again, I'm speculating right now because we don't have that striker who I would say they need to be in this Olympic squad. But come 24, but you have guys that could be. play there. I mean, Tillman could maybe go there. Paxton. I would. I would just say Pulisic. I would just say Pulisic. Yeah, Pulisic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, I'm not Charlie, as a striker, but as, as my attacker. Yeah. Okay. You bring Pulisic <laughs> if he's available. If he's available. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course, that always plays into it. I think what what we've come to see since 2008 is it's not the players, it's not the talent, it's the coaching that has really failed uh, these groups of players. Not putting them in the right position, not selecting the right players at the right time, <laughs> tactics. Probably doesn't like Caleb Porter and Jason Christ. <laughs> uh, I, I'm telling you, I mean, <laughs> no, those were failures, and I hold that against those guys. Failures. Uh, yeah. Of course, the players got to perform, but yes. the coaches, they just did not get it right. That's let's just 
keep call it for no, no, it no, it's, it's part, they, part of it. They got the, the tactics completely wrong. And, and the, the partnerships, the because you look at these, these teams, they're loaded with talent loaded, but it only works if you put them in the right places and, and you know, which players are going to excel and, you know, which ones are, 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 are going to find and look for each other in those relationships, partnerships on the field. So I think it's going to come down to, to the coaching. That's really what it comes down to to get this group to play. At so, so Mikey Varas is your guy, or do you go look well, for somebody else? I mean, why would you change it well, up? Well, because well, Tab Ramos was our U twenty coach, but well, I guess mm-hmm. we never qualified for Olympics when he was a U twenty coach. So, never mind. Keep moving. Yeah, <laughs> at, at the moment, he's got these guys flying. Yeah. So, who, why would you ever have someone come in who's not familiar with this group and switch it up? Well, Bob, Bob, and Peter Novak took over for the Olympics, but. But they didn't have to, right? They could have handed it off to whoever got the team qualified. Just throwing that out there. So, well, that would be that would be the same thing as as just Greg Berhalter taking it over or or giving the uh, the right right the Olympics to. Um, he might be busy he, with Copa America or anything who's else. His, who's his first assistant right now? Currently, I know Luchi Gonzalez is there. W- would you say he's the first assistant? Right no, now? not necessarily. Because he came in, well. It would be the equivalent of him just saying, hey, Lucci, you're coaching the Olympic team. Yeah, right, which is what Bob did right. with Peter, right? Yeah. All right, so who are your three overage players then, Chuck? Uh, Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic. Uh-huh. And a center yep. back. It got to be a center back. You just don't know back. who's going to be, like, firing. I, I, can't get, I can't give you a center back right now. You can't <laughs> give a name. <laughs> Uh, all right, all right. I I I, I, I agree with both I of you. Can't. Listen, I think it's we're going to talk about I just can't. I just can't. I'll say Tyler it. Adams is a lock, and hopefully he yeah. wants to play and's got energy to do so. And with Jesse Marsh being his coach, you'd like to think Jesse would be like, hey, you know. So so and then and then, I'll go Miles Robinson. I think because he missed the World Cup this time around, I think he's going to be eager to want to prove himself. This could be a good opportunity for him to maybe regain some of that uh, dream that he lost at, in some capacity. Atlanta won't go. <laughs> That's probably they, true, they, right? Because they, they didn't they, let him go the last they, time around. They don't, they don't, that's ridiculous. I, I apparently, that, I've, I've, no, they've literally said Bocanegra is the problem with that, which is what I've heard directly from U.S. soccer. Okay, that give, give everybody context. Give everybody context, guy. Heath. Give context. Okay. Give context. Actually, uh, do, do you, do you want to take us to a break first, and then I'll give context because I don't want to no, run too I, long. No, okay, fine. No, you know what? Let's go to our first and only break, okay? Are you crazy? We're gonna go to our first. No, we're gonna make we're gonna make people sit through a commercial, and then they're gonna hear some dirt from Heath Pierce about Carlos Bocanegra, and we're gonna talk about Luca De La Torre going to La Liga and Matt Turner getting his first action for Arsenal. This is In Soccer We Trust. We're taking our first and only break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Chokwagon Davies and Hollywood Heath Pierce. And just to remind you before we get into our issues with Carlos Bocanegra in the last qualifying cycle and talking about Luca De La Torre and Matt Turner. Want to let everybody know that we got nominated for the best sports podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We appreciate everything that you guys do for us. We hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final rounds. Okay, we know that we're great on merit, but apparently there's some popularity contests out there. So please go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category and find In Soccer We Trust and say, yes, that's our favorite podcast of all time. And we're going to support them because we want to win another trophy. It only takes 60 seconds. And we've included the link at the top of the episode in the description as well. Okay, Heath Pierce, give us some context <laughs> as to Atlanta United's failure and not helping us get to the Olympics the last time around because Atlanta United and Carlos Bocanegra in particular, as we've heard, 
didn't allow certain players to be released to play, and then we didn't qualify. Okay. And now we're all blaming Carlos for that. <laughs> okay. Well, from what I've been told directly from U.S. Soccer is that Carlos Bocanegra is extremely difficult. And apparently they passed the buck around there of saying it was them, it was me, I wasn't aware, and like all that sort of stuff of just, you know, passing the blame or miscommunication, misunderstandings. But to give it context, Carlos Bocanegra has over 100 caps for the U.S. men's national team, right? Mm -hmm. Carlos Bocanegra is also the co-chair of technical development of U.S. soccer, or at least was um, since, since at that 2018. Time. Maybe he still is. Yeah. And... And is not releasing certain players for youth national team uh, camps as well as for for under twenty three national team uh, events. And I heard directly from U.S. Soccer that there is a real lack of understanding as to why he is so difficult. Um, and Carlos Bocanegra, I played next to in the national team for a long time, so I don't Same. mind saying this. Um, but is extremely difficult when it comes to releasing players from the club to go into national team programs to the detriment that U.S. Soccer feels uh, it is to a to a point of detriment to the U.S national team programs and i think uh it's a bit it's 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 weird right if you think about his role as the co-chair of of the technical side of of or at least was uh the technical side of, of u.s soccer uh a, so a u.s soccer hall of famer a former national team player that came through the cycles now denying sort of the access to these players and i don't know the reason why maybe he's got a perfectly great reason i would love to know that i'd love to have him on the show to figure out why that is but when you're a young player, the validation of being called into a national team of what that means huge, to test yourself huge. beyond what your club is in a way more intense environment, a way more challenging environment where the game's faster, it's quicker, the pressure's different. It's just such a growth moment for any young player, whether you're called in once or you're called in regularly, that I would love to know more as to why it's such a challenge getting players released from Atlanta United. Okay, so the last time we tried to qualify for the Olympics, we lost in the semifinals to Honduras. Who are the players that he could have released that would have helped us, Heath? Do you I actually don't know off the top of my head. I can look. Chuck, do you remember those? Um, I was just actually just talking because I was with U.S. Soccer this last I time around, that. and that yeah. and that Atlanta was one of the teams that didn't want to release players for their for their U twenties uh, for the U twenty camp, um, as well as some other some other youth national team camps. There was just not a willingness to to uh, release. And U.S. Soccer, by the way, if you compare them to FMF and the challenges that FMF has with U.S. Soccer, U.S. Soccer usually gives around thirty days of heads up of like. Hey, we're in conversations. This player I might be it. selected. FMF gives five days notice when they call players into camps. Like they literally go in and they disrupt camps because you have the training cycles, you have games, you have preparation, you have all these things. And they come in and say, in a week's time, we need this player in Mexico City or we need them in, in, in Arizona or wherever their camps are versus U.S. soccer, which is pretty good at organizing and giving ample time for these clubs to prepare for the absence of a player. Okay, so the three players were Miles Robinson. George mm -hmm. Bello and Brooks Lennon. Mm -hmm. And Jason Christ was the head coach of the U23s. He sounded frustrated when he spoke about the decision from Atlanta and his inability to use those players, particularly Miles Robinson. He said, this is Jason Christ. We thought we had moved to a solution that was going to work. At that time, Atlanta was also in the CONCACAF Champions League, and there was some pandemic-related travel stuff that was going on as well. In fairness to Carlos, we don't want to completely bulldoze him here. Uh, but I guess Christ said, over the weekend, we found out that Atlanta ultimately has decided not to make those players available to us. Unfortunate situation. For the players, for us, but ultimately as a former MLS coach, I think we have to respect their decision. That's Jason Christ playing politics. I'm sure he was pissed that those are three pretty key players, Charlie. I mean, you're talking a center back. You're talking a very exciting left back, George Bella, who's now in the Bundesliga with uh, Armini Bielefeld, or he's in the Bundesliga 2 now because he got relegated. And then Brooks Lennon, who just got a cap recently for the national team as well. 
that might have changed our fortunes. We might have been talking about back-to-back -back appearances in the Olympics. You're right. I mean, I just don't understand it either because you know how important it is for the players' development, but also it's going to increase their value. If, if they if they go out and perform like they should, they're only going to be more valuable for you to sell and make a profit. So to prevent that from happening and knowing what it means to represent the country, you know, Carlos being – one of my favorite teammates and, and a great leader playing um, in France with me during, during that time that I was at FC show, just uh, I would love to hear if, if that's the truth, why, why you would prevent them from, from representing our country. I think enough time has passed too. That happened in March of 2021. So a few months before the Olympics kicked off. I, I, I think I Caleb Wiley, Caleb Wiley now wasn't called. I don't believe was, 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 was allowed was he at the U uh, twenties. Um, I don't know if he was yeah. or wasn't. Hold on, Left back. But, but I, I will tell you, even without Miles and Brooks Lennon and George Bellow, the U.S. should have qualified for. I for, agreed, 100. percent right? It doesn't. I don't want to take anything away. Yeah. But if you're a coach and you're being told that you're going to be able to rely on a couple of players, and mm -hmm. then at the last minute those players aren't available to you, that's got to be a real kick in the nuts. That's all. That's all I'm, I'm going to add to that. But yes, we'll have to get Carlos on at, uh, at some points and he can come on and defend himself in some capacity. All right, let's move on to Luca De La Torre. I'm wearing a Celta de Vigo jersey. Yes. I, uh, my flex of the day, I worked for La Liga a couple seasons ago and uh, I got sent all the jerseys that particular season. So I have a Celta one. But I'm also a huge Iago Aspas fan who I think has done a tremendous job really putting that club on his shoulders and scoring some big goals over the years. The fact that Luca De La Torre is going to be able to play with him, I think is going to be, talk about growth, uh, moments having this opportunity to learn from from some of the best and craftiest players in all of La Liga, I think is going to be very very cool for him. How big a move is this? I'm going to come to you, Heath, for Luca De La Torre, who just went from a relegated Eredivisie team to a mid-table uh, La Liga team, which I think is is huge. Now, last season they played a four-one-three-two. It's going to be hard for him. The guys that he would potentially replace all had about four goals, you know, four or five goals. Six or seven assists. I mean, Luca De La Torre is going to probably play a little higher up the field under that if they stay in the four-one-three-two. But he'll be able to be supplying the ball to some really talented players. How do you think he's going to do? Do you think he? It's going to be hard for him to break in, but it's a better situation than what he was in. Yeah, but he's got that ability where we've seen no matter who he's put on the field next to, and we accused him, or at least I did, uh, very early on of being a little bit of a pass back Pete square and 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 reverse balls. And then as he started to open up the field and open up the game and play in different circumstances where the flow is a little bit different, the space is different, you started to see the dynamic nature of his ability to get forward, connect the lines, his his just calmness on the ball, all of which I think fit in really well in, in La Liga. It's going to be a challenge for him. But what I like about him is that you slot him in no matter who he's playing with in a, in a, in a midfield two or a three or wherever he slots into that uh, attacking or, or sort of two-way position. He's pretty seamless in his ability to contribute or be complementary to players around him where he's not meant to be the star. He's not meant to be the one carrying the load. And so I do like his chance of getting time there as well as the style of play. So overall, I think it's a fantastic move compared. I would have loved to see him go to a bigger club and, in, in Holland just to continue to develop because obviously there's something there that was making him a quality player. But to go now to test himself, I think we'll find out in the next 12 months, was it too big of a leap? Is he there? Is the quality there? Because I, I'm still sort of, I still see the potential in him, but fans love him. He is one of the most beloved players in the U.S. right now in terms of his style of play. Again, He's got, it, it's, it's got that kind of sexy Spanish style to him that I, I think the fans really, really love. So it'll be a great test for him. 
uh, regardless. And I'm looking forward to seeing how big of a step he can make now between now and the World Cup to actually kind of disrupt what is what we think probably the most secure uh, three positions on our national team. So, Charlie, I got kind of two questions for you. One, great news. I guess this is more information for you and for everybody else in case you didn't know. Brace Mendez, who played in one of those midfield spots in that three, he left. They sold him for $15 million, $14, 15000000 million to Real Sociedad, which should give an opportunity for at least some some minutes, right? And I think if he proves himself, which we think we know or know that he's capable of, could lead to him playing very, very well. So I guess the question is, if he starts blowing up for Celta Vigo, what is what is Greg Berhal to do? Obviously, great problem to have, and we see it with a lot of the countries that are super talented in a lot of different areas of the field. But what do you do? Because it seems like McKinney, Musa, and Adams is our midfield. But if if this guy starts playing out of his mind, yeah, you have to play him. Is, is he one of those have to play him type moments? Do you still be like, ah, eh, you don't really fit the system that we want to play? It's tough, right? Yeah, I don't see him. I I really don't see him starting for for the U.S. Even if he's playing at Celta Celta de Vigo, I mean, they it's going to be tough for him to break into that lineup because they play a four one three two, mm-hmm. and the, the one is set. So he's not he's not going to be a defensive midfielder, right? On this team, and then Beltran there. You have Tapia, and then and Suarez in front of him, Dennis Suarez, and you know, so he's going to be competing as as the backup for for most of these player, players, and and he'll fill in if there's an injury or suspension, or if they the the club wants to, uh, the coach wants to rotate. But if I'm looking at this as a as a as a move that kind of bolts him into contention because you're playing at that level, and I think that's that was the desire is man, all these guys are that I'm competing with are playing at the highest level. I need to, I need to, to take that step. And so La Liga, it's a great step for him because of the way that the style of play that they have, he'll get a lot of touches he'll get involved. He'll develop and learn a lot and grow, but you hope that he's just going to get the minutes that go along with that. They also uh, just purchased a, a, a midfielder from my former club, Hammerby in, in, in Sweden, uh, Swedberg. He's 18. They bought him for 5 million. So that's probably a player that they're looking at as well to play. Yeah, you know, De La Torre, only two million. Three, yeah, uh, basically, and and yeah. this this guy's five million. So, so so, I guess this is one kind of additional question, Heath. I'll come to you on this, and then uh, Charlie, I want to get your thoughts on it too. We have a couple players that got relegated. We got George Bello just signed with Armenia Bielefeld, so he's probably not going to make a move. But you have Bustio and Tessman, who are both at Venezia. Do you think they actually benefit? And maybe Bello falls into this conversation too where they're going to get more minutes in the second division, and maybe that will sharpen them up in a way that they wouldn't if they were still kind of floating along and doing their best to survive in the top divisions of their respective countries. I mean, my short answer is no. I, I think I think Busio and a player like Bello that are t- even Testament to a certain extent. I think Testament can do better in a second division because – in Europe, as skill goes down, fight goes up, right? As quality mm-hmm. of pitches goes down, fight goes up. As in- infrastructure and resources go down, fight goes up. Speed of the game goes up. Chaos emerges. And it was way harder for me to play in the second Bundesliga than it was for me in the first Bundesliga. We played against teams, and they would drop back to the half line, allow you to play a little bit and you know break down. And there'd be a rhythm and a flow to it and a respect. And the, you, you might end up losing that game, but you were still respected on that level. When I got in the second Bundesliga, it was a lot more, it felt more like the championship. Pitches were worse. The game was faster. The game ball was in the air a lot more. Teams were a lot more just sort of trapping, fighting, set pieces, all those kinds of things. And I don't think that's great. Now it's great for the character development or building 
you know, adversity, but for Bello, yeah. I think it's good on the ball and, and, and Abusio, who I think is great on the ball, the dynamic of the league changes and the style of play. So the club that you are at, because it fit the style of play is no longer the same club when you go to the second division. Now, if, and I'm talking about that's because that's Bielefeld who spent a lot of time in the second division and Venezia who spent a long time in the second, even further down divisions. It's not like we're not talking about, um, who would be right, a, right. A, 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 you know, a, a, like a, like a Werder Bremen drops down. Oh, Schalke. Yeah, a yeah, or, Bremen. Yeah. Schalke, a Hamburg, somebody that drops down and they've still got the resources to go, you know what? We got parachute payments like in the Premier League or whatever. We're going to take this run. We're going to keep the same team together and we're going to go after winning this league and getting back up. That's usually not the case because you came into the first league with a lot of second league players uh, mm -hmm. and you've gone back down. It's, it's, it's harder. And I don't, I don't like that. Testament, I think, Needs the minutes. He needs to be playing more and more consistently. I mean, Busio and, and Bello as well. But Tessman is one that I think has a more dynamic range to be able to play in a number of styles of play because of his physical build, because of the type of position he's playing. He's got a good range of long passing, things like that, that I think could be applicable to a second division. And he could get better in that situation with consistent minutes versus inconsistent minutes in the first division. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great insight. I appreciate that. All right, before we let everybody go. We got it some Matt Turner news, and we're, we thankfully we have Matt Turner's number one fan here with us, Charlie Davies. Charlie, uh, what happened with with Matt Turner? He got his first uh, action with with the Gunners today, the mighty Arsenal. Yes, he, he got his first minutes for Arsenal in a friendly versus Nuremberg, and they won five three. <laughs> so wait, he, <laughs> was, nice. I love that contact. Yeah, um, <laughs> was he in goal for those three that they gave up, or what? Like what? Uh, give us yes. A, he was. He, he 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 got sixty eight minutes, and okay. so Nuremberg scored in the twenty fourth minute, the 29th minute, and the seventy third minute. So he conceded two goals. Okay, I, I'm, I'm and, curious. And, and, and in that, that time, they scored five goals. Uh, Arsenal uh, in the second half. Gabby Jesus came in, scored twice, um, but 47th minute, 54th minute, 58th minute. Okay, wait, wait. So, so who are the center backs? So who's the, the back line in front of them? I, I guess I want some context if it was like their uh, first choice. Or no. So Kieran Tierney started left back. Okay. Uh, Palomari started in the middle with uh, Rule Walters. Never okay. heard of that player. And Hector Bellerin was the right, right back. Bellerin's back at the team. You love to see uh, it. I thought he was going to stay with Bettis. Uh, Maitland Niles and Lokanga were the, the center mids. So all right. Okay. I wouldn't say they're best team. And then Reese Nelson, left winger, uh, Emil Smith Rowe, uh, attacking center mid, and, and Nicholas Pepe uh, oh, on the right in Niketja, uh, <laughs> yeah. is up top. Yeah, pretty pretty good team. Uh, they've got some options up top this year, and Mikel Arteta is definitely building something special. But yeah, maybe not. So in a way, place. Matt Turner's led. Uh, a really great comeback through substitutions. <laughs> exactly like right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. I just want to yeah. give full credit to to Matt Turner. I think that's what we're trying to do here because we're obviously extremely biased. So, yeah. well, boys, that was fun. I'm calling it a show. And soccer we trust is over for today. We appreciate everybody's support. Go give us some love at podcast. Lud? I can't even speak right. Go give us some love. <laughs> <laughs> at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Make sure you vote for us. We would love that. We want to win another trophy to make that happen. we got three more shows for you next week. We can't wait to get into it. Make sure you follow us on Twitter as well, ISWT Pod. If you have any questions or if you want to let us know who your overage players are, that would be fantastic for the 2024 Olympics. Hit us up on the Twitter and me, Charlie, and Heath. We'll all respond or maybe a couple of us respond. It depends on how cool we think you are. I'm just kidding. We all think you're awesome and cool. Thank you for the likes and subscribes so on behalf. Our producer, Des, producer, Alex, Charlie, Chuck, Wacken, Davies, and Hollywood, Heath Pierce, Wait, Jimmy. Final takeaway. Oh, you wanted some final thoughts? Okay, Charlie, yeah, take it away. Well, I, thought I, 
I th- well, I thought the Matt Turner one was. Well, you abused it, it yesterday, too, Charlie. You abused yeah, the you final thoughts like a, yesterday. Like a, like a five minute final <laughs> thought. <laughs> All right. Uh, Friday, final thoughts. Heath uh, has beef with Carlos Bocanegra and with uh, oh, Peter man. Novak. Uh, no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Charlie has beef with Caleb Porter and Jason Price as terrible coaches. <laughs> oh, as yeah. well as Bob Bradley. And Bob Bradley. There was no beef with Bob. Zero beef with Bob. Uh, I would say – You're only saying I'm, that because you know you'll get a phone call from him afterwards. I am hyped for this young group for the Olympics because of the depth. And so I think we can't even talk about the, the three overage players because you, you look at some of these, these guys and who are – kind of on this crazy trajectory and especially the younger players currently Jack McGlynn, Alejandro Alvarado, Quinn Sullivan, Paxton Aronson, Caden Clark, those particular attacking players are really, you know, getting MLS minutes, really developing at, at a rapid pace. So, and we still don't know what Gio Reyna will look like in, in this mm-hmm. system, Malik Tillman, Eunice Musa, uh, so Joe Scali as well and Gaga Sonina. So I'm hyped. I can't even. I can't wait for it. Jeez, for Louise, Charlie, we just did a whole episode on the things that you just <laughs> brought up again. start over. there's no room. There's no room. I'm getting The Oscars music is going off right now. Get off the stage. Alex in the back, like, cut, cut, cut. It's done. It's done. All right, all right, everybody, take it easy. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and watching. Later.